As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Dennis Delight in Gen 3 Curtain Razor Walkover. Porsche Perfection in potent Peraltada Parade, Hughes stars in stellar rookie role at McLaren, and our verdict on Formula E's new Gen 3 Dawn. Hello and welcome to the latest Formula E podcast from The Race. My name is Jack Nichols, and I'm your new host for 2023, as Andrew van der Berg is busy preparing to give himself a lifetime achievement trophy at the upcoming The Race Media Awards. Joining me today is altitude-fearing Formula E writer Sam Smith and his Mexican stand-in Jack Cousins. And first of all, I'm going to ask a very blunt question. Jack Cousins, this is up to you first. Will the first Gen 3 race last weekend be deemed a success? Well, first of all, Jack, um, there was a lot of scepticism about the weekend and, and I don't think it was unjustified. I think it's fair to say. But... It was, um, you know, at, at Sam's expense, unfortunately, but it was a real privilege to be on the ground for, for the first race of the Gen 3 era. In terms of the action that we got in Mexico, my opinion hasn't really shifted from uh, from what I wrote for the race on, on Saturday afternoon in that it was a success, um, but uh, with with qualifying um, factors. Uh, it, it probably wasn't the explosive race that Formula E perhaps would have liked to to make all the concerns go away. But it was arguably the start that it needed, I think. It was a bit no frills, but the race distance calculations looked about right um, come the end of the race. And it meant that the closing stages were were packed with enough of a punch, even if uh, the leading two, as we'll get onto, were in postcodes of their own. But yeah, overall, a decent start. I'd say six out of ten. Okay, fair. Cousins mentions some scepticism. I think it's time to bring in Sam Smith on that because you were the, your your chief scepticism man. Oh, I'm, I'm honoured. Thank you, Jack. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I agree with with Jack actually. So it was a good one. I mean, it was a decent race, as, and as good as we could have hoped for. I think in the circumstances, the the cars look dynamic as long as they aren't uh, shot from the rear. I mean, aesthetically, I just don't think they look great from the rear. But that's a a personal thing. And the racing was decent, although not without its issues, which we'll come on to a bit later, I think. In the context of how late this Gen 3 project was, 
and all the different elements within it, I think it, uh, yeah, it was a pleasant surprise. You know, there's there's been eight months since the manufacturers got their test and development cars. Um, so on the whole, quite positive. But, you know, motorsport does have that magical trait, doesn't it, of serving up the show no matter what the, the circumstances, and, and that's what it looked like from afar to me. Uh, the, the racing wasn't quite as frenetic as Gen 2, but personally I kind of I like that cleaner element to it in a way. I'm, I, you know, I don't like DRS in Formula 1 when it's overused, so I kind of like that emphasis of drivers really having to work to, to overtake. On the whole, it was a good start, but I just have the feeling that there are further challenges down the line, particularly as the duty cycles of these batteries go on and also the unknown of the front spec MGU and so forth. Just, you know, the robustness of this over any given season. On the whole, as I said, positive. Um, I'm going to reserve some judgment until after uh, Riyadh, as I think the nature of that track is... Um, we all know it's uh, it can be a car breaker and it's a big challenge. I think Mexico City, the track there may have masked some of the issues a little bit, but yeah, I mean it was a, it was a pleasant surprise all around. Uh, it was an interesting point you make about the the DRS because I was I was on the on the flight back I was chatting to Jean Eric Verne. Well, not on the flight. I as we were getting on the flight and he stopped at seat two and I carried on to thirty four, but. Uh, as we were boarding, he was saying, you know, overtaking's much harder. And I'm I'm curious as to people's thoughts on that, because I, too, hate a DRS drive-by. And there are times in Formula E where the, the lift and coasting gives you overtaking, but very much in that drive-by kind of vibe. And I'm I'm not against a race where where it is hard to overtake. One of my favorite Formula E races, Sam was Punta del Este season four with Vern and Degrassi fighting it out for the win. They didn't overtake the whole race, but it was, but it was brilliant. So I think there's a, I sometimes think there's a confusion between easy to overtake and entertainment, right? And you must think that being as old as you are when no one used to overtake. <laughs> Thanks, Jack. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the funny thing is, I agree. And if you, if you look back at some of the races in the eighties the and even early nineties, uh, you know they're quite a big nostalgia trip for for me, as you mentioned with my age there, Jack. But actually, some of those races were were as dull as dishwater. You know, I think people's expectations have moved on, not just in motorsport, but in in every sport. You want to go and be entertained, and you don't want to see a drab nil nil, do you? But they will happen occasionally. I think I think it's the the mindset of um, of the spectators and the viewers as well. But Formula E. As I often say, you rarely get a dud race. And even though Jake Dennis won by nearly eight seconds, there was still a great battle with that Degrassi cork in the bottle, wasn't there? So I think it's quite complex in a way. After after saying at the top of the show, you know, I like this kind of slight sort of chess match of a race. I do think that over the season, I think the fast charging, which we'll come on to, I'm sure, but the fast charging can't come soon enough in a way because I think the the reduced attack mode um, needs to be looked at and needs to be expanded. Uh, I'd like to see that, but uh, yeah, like I said, it was it it held the interest, didn't it? That race, yeah. And cousins, I don't know what you think, but that it's it's win because that watching. Jake Hughes trying to get past Degrassi for third. We'll speak about it more in the future. But the fact he couldn't was interesting. You know what I mean? If he'd have just breezed past, then you wouldn't have had a... I, I've, struggled, I've struggled to work out whether Degrassi kind of made the race or ruined the race, you know? I, I think he absolutely made it, didn't he? The 
um, when we got into the closing stages, that was that was the key battle on track. And you know, Degrassi we'll get onto in a bit more detail, but made his car that wide and uh, and held the pack up enough that what was initially uh, a three-way fight for third uh, ended up bringing in Sebastian Buemi as well and and Antonio Felix da Costa wasn't far off uh, um, making up a position on, on Buemi himself at the end so um, yeah yeah you know I, th- I think he he picked his uh, he picked his battles um, the Porsches looked very good again something I'm sure we'll touch on in a bit but um, yeah it was a entertaining entertaining finish to the race um, I think justified by the uh, the audible groans and uh, uh, gasps in the press centre when um, Hughes was trying to overtake in the closing laps. Yeah, yeah, it, it was good stuff. Um, so before we get on to the racing, just one more topic because obviously reliability and safety factors were a were a concern coming into the weekend in Mexico City. We had extended runoff and more uh, tech pro in place. Sam. I can't remember what you predicted for um, um, on on the race for how many drivers would finish, how many cars would finish, but there was one mechanical retirement in the race or reliability retirement, and that was a good old fashioned drive shaft for for Sam Bird. So broadly speaking, that's that's seems decent. Yeah, it was good. I went for sixteen actually, which wasn't far off, was it? So I know, did eighteen. I think... So I think we met in the middle. There you go. Paragons of optimism, you know us, Jack. Here at the race, um, <laughs> I mean, on the surface, yes. I mean, it, it wasn't it wasn't perfect, but we saw some reliability issues. But you, you're going to. I don't think anyone's disputing the fact that there were there were going to be issues for for some of the drivers out there. I mean, for instance, as well, quite apart from the the, the important components on the car, the LED lights were quite erratic on the cars because of an issue with the FIA network, which is known as CAN, and that controls the LEDs changing colours on the car. So, I mean, this has been turning the car off on occasions. I think that was an open secret in in Valencia as well, and sends the rest into an error. On some occasions, so these 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 little gremlins need need to be fixed. I mean, um, that and several others. As we know, the the challenges that the teams have faced over the last few months. Ultimately, seventeen cars finishing and only one, as you said, with Bird's drive shaft is is great for the first race. The, the provisions to contain the cars in the event of an accident, which we've um, we've featured quite heavily on the site in recent months, that that again that again works and i think the extra runoff and the extra tech pro was there as a as, as a as a safety feature as as well as the fact obviously the track had been modified with the chicane um so yeah generally all around pretty good i think the fin formulary will be happy and rightly so um but again as i say diria is a, a contained track and it's a bit of a roller coaster so let's see what happens there that that place can be a car breaker as i said the safety situation with the emergency brake implementation possibly for Riyadh is interesting I think this was the real crisis facing Formula E going into Mexico City is and and hopefully that will be the one race where it isn't available just to repeat what's been happening in these incidents just to go over because there are only front friction brakes on the cars now and there are 
those are frequent, infrequently used, pardon, because of the increased regen that's available now. When drivers experience a, a failure or a shutdown, they have very little retardation available to them. So that's what's been causing some of those accidents. We did see um, Mitch Evans in FP1 and, and teammate Sam Bird, less spectacularly in, in FP2, have uh, episodes such as this. So, I mean, we'll come on specifically shortly to 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 it to the big concern, but to be clear, cars will always have accidents. And we saw some in Gen 2, didn't we? But you have to mitigate and prepare as much as you can when it comes to safety, especially as these things now are capable of, of really big speeds in a straight line at least. There were some big risks taken in Mexico. That's clear. Um, if it's the only race where there isn't this emergency brake available, there was a big risk factor in, in Mexico. But it was a permanent circuit, so could be managed. Um, the emergency brake won't stop these accidents happening, but it sure as well help the drivers um, if they do lose control of the car in that fashion with shutdowns. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's the sort of broader picture. So let's dig down a little bit into the, into the racing now, starting with uh, qualifying, which was really entertaining i think a lot of the 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 group stages were remarkable in some of the big shocks that we that we saw being knocked out in the end lucas degrassi gets only his fourth pole position of his formula e career i mean he'll argue six because he got disqualified from two of them but only his fourth pole but he's he's on a really good run of qualifying form if you go back to the end of last season where he had a, a couple of front rows in london he's in very good form but he kind of got a, a free pass to the pole, right, Sam? Because Jake Dennis, uh, well, Lotterer made a mistake in the semi-final, which allowed Degrassi through to the final, and then Dennis only had half a front wing for the for the for the final after whacking the whacking the bollards. Is the, were you surprised he was he was running with half a front wing? Um, not as surprised as Jake was. I think um, he wasn't <laughs> happy about it, was he? I mean. It, Actually, just sort of standing back from it, it's quite clear cut in that there are part Fermi conditions at the end of each session in the qualifying structure as a whole. That means you can't touch the cars. Anyone who's involved in racing knows that. Now, I don't think there has ever been a scenario this extreme in qualifying, not one I can remember since this came in uh, into effect a year ago, whereby a car has suffered that amount of damage. So it's it's really new territory. Ultimately, it was completely up to the team on if that car ran or not. If it would have changed the wing, then it would have received, probably would have received a black flag, presumably, or just had its next time deleted. So it's putting the power to the teams. Now, I would put to you that actually, in my, in my mind at least, why doesn't the FIA technical department or the delegate himself become a referee and inspect a car when this happens because it for sure it'll happen again in the future and safety everyone tells us safety is always first well letting jake dennis out onto the track with that wing and look you know, the team isn't going to say oh no it's not safe they're going to want to be on pole position aren't they so it needs i think a kind of intervention whereby a car that's got that damage is allowed to have something changed in respect of safety i mean there is no performance advantage in it but he's damaged it sam he's he's shunted it like why should he get why, why should you get to shunt it and then get to replace the part well you, you you know you you're going into different territory now yes you know he hit a bollard he hit a marker bollard but that is not against the regulations is it 
So, you know, it's not as if he hit the wall or hit another no, but driver. Not, but hit, but hit it, hitting the wall isn't against the regulations. I don't think there's a regulation saying, you know, drivers must not crash. No, but in terms of the track limits, he didn't break the track limits and his car is is damaged. I think the point being is the safety element. You know, what if that wing would have broken as he went into turn one on his next um on his next lap, you know, he would have ended, he could have ended up in, in the wall pretty heavily. I'm not saying that there has to be this. I'm just saying, I think it should be looked at because I think you can see both sides of the story. You know, Jake Dennis is completing a lap with a potentially, a potential safety hazard on the car. So why not at least have a look at it and let, you know, there is no performance in advantage in having a wing change. It's not as if it's Formula One where you've got, you know, you've got different iterations of aero or whatever. It's it's a spec. It's effectively a spec part. So, you know, I'm I'm just putting that out there. I'm not saying it should happen, but I think yeah, yeah, it yeah. should. If this happens in the future, and, and an accident happens because of it, everyone will look a bit silly, won't they? So I'm sure it has been looked at, but uh, you know, the park Fermé conditions at the end of the day, as I said, the park Fermé conditions are sacrosanct. So. Um, it was a bit of a, you know, I think Jake's frustration afterwards was partly probably because he didn't get pole position, but certainly the safety element of it um, is is a potentially serious one. I think. Cousins, what did what did you make of it? Because is it was it a was was it a safety concern? We know that these Formula E cars are not particularly aero dependent. Did it, did it feel like a safety concern at the time? The, the point Sam makes um, uh, about the the error and the performance is, is interesting because we did see in the race John Eric Verm racing without uh, the majority of his front wing and that didn't didn't affect his performance really at all. Um, but Dennis suggested that not having the front wing did affect his. That's why he wanted it changed, right? Because it would make him slower. So we can't have it both ways where it it wouldn't have made any difference to his performance, but yet he wanted it changed for performance. Well, this this is where I, I'm with you, the point that you made before. I think ultimately, you know, Dennis, sure, if he's in inside track limits, that's that's fair enough, but it was self-inflicted damage. And if that happens in the race, like it did to Vern, there's no silver bullet um, for, for changing it. You can't stop the race and say, well, we want to put the front wing back on. Um so, so from my side, I just wonder if the FIA saw it as fair cop, you know. Um, possibly it's the case. We don't know. We did ask that question, but didn't get an answer to it. But um, yeah, Jack, I think you said in commentary, uh, it looked pretty borderline in terms of being a, a black and orange meatball flag. And um, I think I've seen touring cars brought in for uh, for less damage than that. So yeah, it did strike me as, as quite surprising that, that he was allowed to continue. Yeah, we saw a lot in Formula One, actually, didn't we, this year of black and orange flags for front wings. And then now we're not giving them and then we are. And then even we had that Alonso episode, didn't we, in Austin, where it's the team's responsibility to bring him in. But then they decided it wasn't and he got reinstated. So I I don't disagree that it's an area within the sort of FIA world that probably needs a bit more clarification of, of what is safe and what is and what is unsafe. Well, let's move on to the race itself. Jake Dennis started second on the grid. Degrassi made a mistake. Dennis gets ahead, wins by 7.8 seconds. The seventh biggest winning margin in Formula E history in the 101st race. How did he manage to be so dominant, Jack? Well, really impressed by uh, your statistics there, Jack. Um, but yeah, as, as you kind of said, just as Degrassi's poloed quite a lot to, to Dennis making an error in qualifying um, beyond the 
the the front wing issue. So too Dennis's win owed a little to Degrassi, um, as it was a mistake from him at turn two, uh, around about a third of the way through the initial distance that allowed Dennis to to slip by. Um, but it, yeah, in truth, this looks pretty inevitable. I think Degrassi did a credible job to keep Dennis at bay for as long as he did, but the the pace of the of the Andresi Porsche was far superior, and we saw that straight away um, once Dennis was through um, he's he described it in his words as just sort of hitting my targets which is uh isn't the most elaborative way of describing <laughs> such a crashing win but it was it was a really effective drive and and that was illustrated by him setting the fastest lap of the race two laps after he passed Agressi um, aided by his activation of attack mode um, albeit only for part of the lap he got to use it for because he only took a minute on his first hit. Um, yeah, in terms of the winning margin as well, it, it was mighty, but it's worth bearing in mind too that before the third safety guy, he, had a, he already had a four-second advantage, which got wiped out. So without that, we might be looking and reflecting on a, an even more impressive winning gap. Um, Sam, you spoke to Andretti team principal Roger Griffiths afterwards, didn't you? And he described Dennis as an unbelievable driving talent, I think, in the context of his energy management. It, it's hard to argue with that, really. It was a real uh, marker that he laid down to to the rest of the field. Sam, I was... Uh, were, you, were we expecting this from Porsche? Like, I, I, I was really worried for Porsche coming into Mexico. They, speaking to them in the off-season, they had hit the track running early on, but had then been compromised by sort of parts failures, you know, stock parts failures and all of that that happened early on in testing. They looked pretty rubbish in Valencia. I was in a sort of middle of a conversation between, I think it was uh, Dennis Lotterer and um, Da Costa, where they were all like, we can't do these lap times that everyone else is doing. They were really struggling with the brakes. I was really worried they'd be at the back of the midfield and then they win in dominant fashion. Was, was it a big surprise? Um, yes. And a bit, not only that, but it was a great case study and not to look too closely into what's going on at Valencia, isn't it? Um, well, we'll make sure the race don't send you next year then. <laughs> what's the altitude there? <laughs> Save a bit what's of the budget. Altitude there? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no, I think, yeah, look, you know, Max Gunter was Max Gunter always seems to be top of the times, doesn't he? And was was pretty much nowhere in in Mexico. But in reality, no one saw this coming, um, including I think a lot of the team, uh, both teams. But as we know, Andretti have form in starting new rule sets off really well, haven't they? With Da Costa winning in Riyadh at the start of Gen Two, so they've done back to back rule sets there, haven't they? Which is a nice um, a nice little um, stat for them. This was something else, really, though. They they just didn't seem to have much pace in Valencia, as I mentioned, but it all came alive in, in Mexico. They were just head and shoulders quicker than anyone else. Um, they maximised everything, as as, uh, as Jack said. I always thought Porsche would be strong this season, but actually, when we did the preview stuff and the predictions, I thought, well, maybe on the back of what we all saw in Valencia, maybe it was going to be mid-season where we'd see the true potential of what they had package wise. So, but the way Dennis just drove away was, was exceptional. Um, but he's done, he did it in London, didn't he last year? He was just on a different plane entirely. They, I think a good part of how they did this was they got the tire management right and qualifying because the Hankooks, despite them being 
super hard and completely different proposition to the Michelins, they still had this. They still have this window to get into, and it's the cool down which was critical at Mexico. I think that the Peraltada. I'm still calling it the Peraltada. Is it? Is that the Mansell Corner now? I refuse to call it the Mansell Corner. We're calling it Peraltada. I think technically it's only the Mansell Corner on the F1 circuit where good. you've got like that little. It's that little half corner. I was calling it Peraltada all weekend. That's good. That's good. Um, I just think that the that corner challenges the tire. Um, on the, I've got to get this right. I've got my lefts and rights right here. I think the, um, it's going to be the uh, the right side, isn't it? Of those of those tires, it just left side. Yeah, there you go, left side. Um, I'm <laughs> just I'm just got some indelible marker, just doing an L and an R on my uh, on my hands as we speak. So I think actually that was a big challenge, and it's unique in Formula E, isn't it? There is no other corner like that. Um, so for the first race, I think it's actually going to be a real challenge. And what we were seeing was that the tyres weren't cooling down. You know, if, if people were, were doing a cool-down lap, they had to do a properly slow, chilled cool-down lap. Otherwise, it didn't work. And it affected Evans, it affected the DS cars, it affected Maserati as well. They just didn't get into that same little window that the that the Porsches and the um the Jaguars did uh, for qualifying. So but the way that Dennis just drove away was was extraordinary. They they got the tire management right, everything came together and yeah, they they ended up winning at a canter. I'm going to throw in a little bit of a a grenade here. Cousins will start with you sniffer your opinion also. If if and it's a big if. If Andretti get a slot on the F1 grid in 2026 is jake dennis in contention for a seat or am i being way too hyperbolic cousins uh it's an interesting proposition isn't it uh it's it feels a long way off um wow he must be rated incredibly highly within within the andretti outfit right? absolutely what you have to bear in mind is of course that they want one of those seats to be for an american driver and and the driver they want really is going to be Colton Herter, uh, who it remains to be seen if he'll get a super license beforehand and can make his debut beforehand. But assuming that comes no earlier than 2025, 2026, he's, you know, he's still going to be short on F1 experience. And if you're a new startup, um, you know, even though by that point, Andretti will have been talking about joining F1 for what feels like uh, half a, half a century um <laughs> i think experience really really pays in in um in in that startup sort of scenario so uh, i think i think dennis if he carries on this trajectory of of what he's shown in the second half of last season in formula e in particular um and obviously what we saw in mexico he should be in the conversation but i think he's probably ruled out in this hypothetical scenario by the need for experience matched with Andretti's commercial needs as well. Sam? Yeah, I, I broadly agree. I, I think he's, he'll be sort of 31, 30, 31 by then. I think that the time's passed, sadly, but what he will be, will be a really good sim test and reserve driver. I definitely think that would be worthy of a, um, a detailed conversation, but a race seat, probably not. Um, I mean, he would do a fantastic job, I'm sure, but, you know, so would seven, eight, nine other people. But 
I would definitely consider him for a, a role in the sim. I mean, there are people at Red Bull who absolutely rave about his sim work. So why wouldn't you? You know, it, um, he'd be a really good um, third man there, yeah. Yeah, we had Oliver Askew in, in commentary this weekend, and he one of the things he said was Dennis's strength is the sim. He's so good at getting on it on the sim so that when he arrives at the track, he is he's fully up to speed. So that was that was really interesting. So yeah, great drive from from Jake Dennis. Another big kind of surprise, actually a huge surprise, were Lucas Degrassi and Mahindra. They, I, I, it feels like they, there was a mixture of luck and Degrassi wiliness. Feels like the thing, right? Because the, because the Mahindra powered cars apt were you know nowhere. Oliver Rowland qualified last, having gone a different way on setup from Degrassi, and then suddenly Degrassi's on pole and and on the podium to me it was one of his best days driving of his of his formula e career to be perfectly honest i thought he was just superb but he's he's not a title contender is he uh no certainly not from from what actually transpired in in the race and well from qualifying and the race um i think i'd agree with your assumption um your assertion rather that uh this was more uh a, a few twists of fate throughout the day um it'd be unfair to call pole position a fluke because Degrassi did what he needed to do but there was certainly a big degree of fortune about his pole um obviously the two big ones were the Andretti cars he faced off against but Buemi also um lost time when he was up on Degrassi right at the end of his lap in in the quarterfinal so uh it was it was three drop times really that got him to the to the top of the board but if you give Lucas Degrassi a sniff, he's going to do exactly what he did, isn't he? Um, I'd agree with you, Jack. This was a real vintage performance. Uh, he drove gamely, as as we've sort of said before, to keep Dennis behind at the start. But the pace of not only Dennis's Porsche, but the, the works car of Verline was such that his fight was never really with them and his energy was better spent elsewhere, literally. Um Yes, overtaking's harder in these cars and, and he did have Jake Hughes on his debut behind him, but at the same time, he never really gave the McLaren a sniff um, of, of a real chance to pass. There were a couple of times where the door was open into the chicane in the closing laps, but that was under yellow flag, so he did what he needed to do there. It, yeah, it was a really hard-fought and, and well-earned podium. Uh, I was particularly relieved as I was the only one to to go for Degrassi in our pre-season predictions question about who'd have the better season out of him and Buemi. But um, Buemi obviously had a uh, had a good run and looked rejuvenating on his way to sixth. Um, but yeah, as for Mahindra and, and customer team apt, I, I think even with all of that defending that Degrassi did, he was still 13 seconds clear of the next car with the same powertrain. And that was Roland who just finished ahead of uh, Nico Muller and Jack, as you said, uh, went a different way on setup, which didn't help him in qualifying. But if you consider Degrassi might arguably have started seventh had Buemi knocked him out in the quarterfinals, I don't think he ends up in that gaggle squabbling over the, the final podium place at the end. So, yeah, a welcome result, but not a suggestion that there'll be more results like this immediately. Um, that said... Degrassi spoke uh, a little bit in the post-race press conference about the potential Mahindra has to develop what he's calling at the moment uh, a pretty basic package. Um, and it's got half of its test allocation left to use still. So 
further into the season, I think we'll see a bit more. But uh, yeah, a nice result to celebrate for now. Not expecting um, immediate repeats of it. Yeah, Sam, I, I didn't realise that, I don't think, till Degrassi told me before the race, he was like, yeah, we haven't even got anywhere near our allotted testing allowance, whereas most of the teams had all done it before Valencia. Well, we, you know, we don't know that, do we, is what they tell us. So, um, you know, I think I think Lucas uh, plays the game in lots of ways. And um, oh, Have I been hoodwinked again? You could well have been. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying he's telling porkies. You know, obviously, we do know that their their de- development was um, curtailed for for a week or so when they they had this accident at Almira, and and there was a lateness to getting all their all their bits and bobs together. But equally, I think most of the other manufacturers as well had similar problems. I mean, Porsche had at least two days that we know of completely written off through uh, battery issues back in uh, September, I think it was. So who knows? You know, there's a lot of kidology that goes on, a lot of false information that gets tossed people's ways um, in the off-season. Um, so it's all part of it, all part of the, the psychological warfare, etc. I think I think Lucas's drive, though, was exceptional. Um, I agree with you, Jack. It was one of his best in Formula E. Um, his two Mexican wins, obviously, um, and his Berlin victory were fantastic. But this just had that combination of of grit, determination, and um, and the speed that he found in in qualifying. Yes, it had a bit of fortune, but it it made his uh, it made his race and got his podium. Will he get more podiums this season? I'm not sure. We're yet to see what the the natural order of things is, but I think. It was like a perfect storm of a bit of luck, a grassy on on fire and, and and hitting all his marks, and um and and he reaped the rewards and, and fair play to them. It was it was good to see because nobody fancied Mahindra going into into this into this season. His fortieth podium in one hundred and one races, absolutely unbelievable uh, statistic from from Degrassi. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. A little note on the other Porsche of Pascal Verlein. He finished second. Could could he have been in contention had he would started a little further forward? Because sixth to second was one of the biggest, certainly in terms of the the front runners' cousins. It was one of the biggest kind of progresses up the field. Um, it was it was really impressive, and it it kind of got overshadowed, didn't it, by Dennis's brilliance at the front and 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 Degrassi's uh, uh, defensive masterclass uh, but but i guess an ascent like that from from their line is is probably in keeping with his presence isn't it he's understated and uh, and quite quiet on the surface but 
mega performer on his day and uh, and this was one of them um yeah as you say from sixth he had a little work to do and and i think that ultimately you know stopped him from from having a say in 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 the uh, order at the front of the field even when he got through to second he 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 was far too far behind dennis to to make it worthwhile trying to push the catch but um but he bided his time in the early stages and made sure he was saving energy and then when when he had the chance to attack he was he was really clean and precise in his overtakes um apart from tagging degrassi exiting the stadium section at one point but that was only after a really smart and opportunistic pass on hughes um while while the mclaren and degrassi went for attack mode yeah like i say i think given the relative starting positions um dennis was always likely to be out of Bearline's reach, so second probably represented his limit, but um, that's what championship campaigns are, are kind of built on, isn't it? It's maximising those opportunities. Bearline seems really happy in the post-race press conference, um, and yet for a driver who last year was likely in title contention, but for um, uh, a few team errors and, and reliability issues, this to me was another display that suggests he's he's capable of a of a championship tilt if the package is there underneath him. Yeah, and like we say, we're looking forward to seeing what that Porsche package has over the rest of the season. Uh, two rookies in the field, Neon McLaren's Jake Hughes and effectively Sasha Fenestras, even though he sort of did a race at the end of the last year. Fenestras was was super impressive in qualifying, um, but Jake Hughes had a really, really strong race and a really impressive race. And a really, he's been impressive ever since he kind of got into the got into the Formula E car. I got in a bit of trouble with McLaren because in the uh the the race driver pairing ranking thing we did on the on the website a couple of weeks ago, I ranked them 11th. I I thought they had the weakest driver pairing on the grid. Outrageous. I know. Outrageous. I know well I had them 11th and Nissan 10th and my justification was that those are the only two teams on the grid that have a... Uh, no. No, it wasn't Nissan. Who was it? Anyway, McLaren and someone else who I can't remember are one of the only two teams on the grid who don't have a race winner in their team. Like, that's how strong the, the field is in Formula E. But, Jack, I don't think we would... And I covered Jake Hughes in his first season in cars. I commentated on on him winning the... 2013 BRDC Formula 4 championship. So I think the kid is great, but I, w- I wasn't expecting this level of performance. Was anyone? Ian James was, I think. Um, really? He was uh, He was very uh, very keen to play. Neo's the other one. Neo, Sergio Sede Camera and Dan Tictum. That's the other team on the grid that doesn't have a driver that's won a race. Ian James, carry on. <laughs> um, yeah, in a in a uh, pre-weekend chat um we were we were talking through the the virtues of, of the driver pairing and um he's always been yeah he's been very impressed with Hughes's career he spoke more about it as well in a in a session we attended on Saturday and um he described Hughes as a as a really underrated driver and the sentiment that both he and Hughes himself had you expect him to to say this, uh, if your team boss, yeah, team principal, it, team principal thinks his driver is good, yeah, well, and and driver thinks, uh, you know, he's he's had to fight hard to earn this chance, so he's confident in his abilities. Shock as well, 
Um, but he he really he really paid back that uh, confidence, didn't he? I I wasn't sure when I went over to him um, at the end of the race how he was going to feel. I went in uh, a bit softly with the first question, just considering how close he'd been all race to a, a podium, which I think would have been a dream result um, to end up fifth in the end. But he was pretty satisfied um, with with the with the end result. Um, there were definitely lessons for him to learn. Um, he thought they should have gone differently from Degrassi on the attack mode at the end, which is where Verline got past him. Um, and he, he felt he struggled uh, a little bit, just well, just to make the the overtake really the amount of energy he was having to use. Um, to try and get close enough to Degrassi ultimately meant he he didn't have enough. Um, not didn't have enough, but you know that's ultimately what sucked him into battle with uh, Lotterer and, and cost him another position at the end. But um, yeah, I don't. I, I think we expected McLaren to have a bit of a surprise, but fifth place and how consistently. Um, Hughes ran at the front of the field was uh, with a really good return, especially considering how Rene Rast did in comparison. Rast's no slouch, I think, by his own admission, and uh, and the the team were saying the same thing. He takes a little bit longer to to warm up into these these processes, and that's uh, that's a difficult thing on, on <laughs> considering Formula E weekends are, are so condensed into one day. But that that should progress as the season goes on, but. Yeah, Hughes was twelve places ahead of uh, Rast in qualifying, and um, took a took a car, um, you know, close to the podium where his teammate didn't really trouble the points positions all the time he was running. So, a very good start for for Jake Hughes. Yeah, there's an amusing clip on Formula E's social media from the drivers' room where Hughes comes up to all the other drivers and goes, "Is that what a Formula E race is? That's the hardest race we've ever done." And everyone's like, "Yep, welcome to welcome to Formula E." And there's that there's going to be that weird mix, Sam, of great, impressive first performance from Hughes. Arguably, could have been a second place, but you know, you'll yeah. take fifth on your debut. Yeah, absolutely. I was very impressed with Jake Hughes. Clearly, this car suits his style. I think he mentioned it in the the broadcast that he he doesn't like a an oversteery car. And like Jack said, I mean, to get one over Rene Rast in your first Formula E race, admittedly, Rast is coming back to Formula E as well, and it's all new for everyone anyway. It was impressive nonetheless. He was always there or thereabouts. Yes, he got mugged by uh, Lotra on the penultimate lap and was sort of, um, yeah, wrong-footed by that yellow, which was withdrawn just before he got to that chicane. But look, you know, he's... It's his first. It's his first. Well, it turned into a. It turned into a slippery That's surface right. flag. Yeah. Didn't it? So it was. It was a yellow and black flash instead of just a yellow flash. So that was unfortunate. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, you're not going to mark him down for, for something like that on his first race. It. It was a big test for him. Um, but look, you know, there's going to be big tests for him in every session. He goes to Riyadh next to that track, which he's got no experience of, whereas others have. And that is a tough place to to learn. Just to get just to get your eye in, it's gonna it's gonna take a session, I think, for for him to do that. If he's as quick and as impressive at Diria, then 
you know, we got to really look out for for this guy um, potentially doing what the other Jake did in 2021, winning at least one race in his in his debut season. But I think he'll be looking for that first podium. But there's no reason why he can't achieve that pretty quickly on the on the evidence and the example of of what we saw um, last Saturday. Sasha Fenestras, I thought, did a really good job as well. He was quick in qualifying and only just lost out to to Lotter in his quarter final. Um, the, the the race was also strong. You know, he he mugged Buemi at turn one and by rights should have got up to sort of sixth and seventh and taken that position. But he, he got rear-ended by Jean-Éric Verne um, and then his energy just completely disappeared. Whether that was a legacy of the contact, I don't know, but it seemed to be a separate issue. And in the closing laps, he you know forlornly dropped down the order, sadly. But as, yeah, as starts go, it was impressive from him and from Hughes. I think we'll see... Fenestras in and around the podium as well at some races this season, which is which is great. You know, f- fresh new blood in the championship. It's uh, it's what we want to see, and it's a it's a plot line that we all watch with great interest. So we've spoken a lot about positives. I think we've we've got to now come on to the. If you had asked me, which people did, I suppose, and uh, what teams are going to be the front runners? DS Penske, Maserati MSG, Jaguar. Those three are up there. Everyone else I'm not that sure about and Mahindra might struggle. Like that was broadly speaking my my perception. And I think DS Penske were just the full favourites coming into the weekend and Jaguar looked there or thereabouts. We'll start with Jaguar. Jack, they they started poorly last season, didn't they? Mitch Evans didn't score any points in the first three races and and that trend seems to be continuing despite you know, kind of seemingly having the pace, the Envision team, uh, with Buemi anyway, out, out qualified both Jaguars. They certainly seemed a, a lot more upbeat than um, yeah, the works drivers afterwards. Uh, just looking back through what Evans had to say afterwards, and, and he expected the pace to be better. It was obviously a, a compromised weekend. Um, you know, all four cars had to uh, have um, a common part supply parts uh, replaced for FP2 on Saturday morning. Um, that was what failed um, when when Evans had his incident after the chequered flag in, in FP1. Whether some some precaution was baked, there was, there was certainly software added as well um, to, as we understand, to help um, mitigate the effects of a further um, issue there. Um, but yeah, it just—it was a sorry weekend as well for for Sam Bird, wasn't it? He obviously, understandably, cut a frustrated figure in the pen after the race because what did he get? Maybe five laps at, at full pace during the whole weekend. Um, yeah, he was—he <laughs> wasn't in the most talkative mood. He was—he was very um, amicable and, and answered everything that was asked of him. But you know, the question of what Jaguar needs to improve first and foremost was met with a one word answer and that was reliability um yeah a big shame for him evans at least got some points and it was actually clearing uh, fenestras that that proved crucial really because he escaped a bit of a wild finish in the in the pack behind um it, it was a clean weekend for him either he said afterwards that he made a a mistake and missed his first attack mode so that dropped him back into the pack you know just when Things started to to look like they were on the on the up again. Something like that happens. So I think coming away with some points was was a decent reward. But yeah, like you say, not 
not amazing to be outdone by the customer team uh, on their first weekend using your powertrains either. Um, so they'll be looking for a, a big step up come uh, Deria. Sam, on Jaguar, there's, there's, you know, there's obviously the chat that we've had at the start of the podcast today about safety and and the sort of Gen Three cars and you know known issues with the with the with the Gen Three cars as they get up to speed. But there's a lot of it seems uh, unrepresentatively weighted in Jaguar's favour, right? They had over the course of one day, well, two I guess because of FP1 taking place the day before, but you know one traditional Formula E day. They had three reliability issues, so it can't all. There must be some part of it that is that is that is kind of Jaguar problems. Yeah, it's 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 a mix. So they've suffered issues with uh, spec components on the car, which, although not specified, you presume is the, the battery and or possibly the front MGU. But yeah, it's been a combination, and they addressed some of that after Valencia when Buemi had his shunt. They they parked their cars. Um, briefly and then they went back out and then obviously between Valencia and um, and Mexico it has been uh, looked at and addressed and they thought um, sorted I mean we've we've uh, we've run a story this week which um, with a little bit of intelligence as to what's been happening that um, that the, the software update uh that they had for Mexico ultimately in Sam Bird's instance protected both the powertrain and the front MGU allowing the team to reset quickly once the car was recovered whereas that wasn't possible before so yeah very difficult for Jaguar oh what because we, we saw him we saw him pull off didn't we and then he kind of got going again two or three minutes later yeah what if you, if you study that what actually happened was he went to pull off obviously very slow speed um but then he had no control over the car and he hit the tech pro um which i don't know if anyone picked up but he he did hit the tech pro very lightly he had no steering or no braking on the car so presumably it was a similar scenario to um to his teammate the day before but it seems that they were able to recover um from a software perspective um, after that. So there wasn't much change needed um, after that is how I understood it. I mean, it's a complex situation. You know, you got to remember these teams are dealing with multiple, multiple facets in getting this car up and running. But I mean, the the fact is that Jaguar have suffered more than, more than others with, with incidents um, with this car. So the hope is that the reliability uh, comes for Diria and, and onwards, um, it'd be a shame. As I said throughout the the preview material we've done, it would be such a shame if the spec components of this package affect a championship battle. But it's clear in Jaguar's case that it's a mix. It's a combination. It seems of of all the elements, which um, which isn't great. But on the positive side, we saw Mitch have a, a reasonable race and 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 get a couple of points for for ninth position. So I think if you'd have offered that at one stage of the weekend when both their cars had had incidents and that three Jaguars or three Jaguar-powered cars would be in the top 10, I think that actually says a lot for the um, for the robustness of, of Jaguar. And I expect them to come back and be challengers in this in the title race i think they've got really a car yeah because the, they, they weren't they weren't slow you know evans missed out by a minuscule amount in in the uh, qualifying group i can't remember the exact gap but it was slender uh, i mean they all were but you know jaguar in the mix they, they've got some pace they just got 
they just got stuck after qualifying. I think if again going into the you know looking at De Costa and and others that and Vern, the the DSs and. De Costa, they weren't slow. They just got stuck, and it was difficult for them to make progress. You know these burn from the stern drives that we're used to in Formula E. That's over. You know you're not going to do that, which makes qualifying all the more important. And I think if Evans, that's been a, that's a bit that's that's been over for years though, hasn't it, Sam? I think that's what I'm curious about because even this is why Formula E changed the qualifying rules because you because in the group stages, De Vries would fin- would start. 15th and maybe could get into 10th those those you know coming through from the back things don't exist anymore full stop we had Evans winning from 9th in Rome last year and 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 that's kind of that's kind of it so I don't I I, I'm curious as your definition of not they're not slow they they got stuck in qualifying like let's talk about DS Penske in particular here because this is kind of what happened to them they look quick and then in qualifying, we're saying they weren't slow; they just got stuck. What what does that mean? Well, it goes back to the tire situation. You know, they're still learning about the tires. They're one session into a two-year development of this car. Essentially, you know, it'll be a constant loop. But just going back to your point, you know, there were occasions last year. Stoffel van Dorn, I think, went from twenty-first to eighth at Marrakesh, um, and you know, there were other occasions where there was you know reasonable ascents up the field, but. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, particularly with DS and for Jaguar, I mean, Vernon Van Dorn remarked about some bulking going on in the in the qualifying, and I didn't see that, but you know, you take their word for it. So you know, maybe that's maybe that's a tenth. The tire window, maybe that's a tenth. Two tenths will be what we've seen. You know, that's that's going to be seven or eight positions. So sorry, six or seven yeah. positions, isn't it? So fine, fine margins. The Jaguar's quick. I'm convinced it's quick. If they get the reliability sorted, I'm sure they're going to be in the mix. And I think it's just going to be this ever-evolving, ever-evolving development and cars suiting or, or styles and cars suiting certain circuits. And, and, and that's great. You know, it's, it's a big... It's a big tombola, isn't it? There is so much, so many ingredients that are going into this that if you get them all right and you have a, you, you know, you you hit all your marks in terms of the t- the vehicle dynamics, uh, the package, the software, um, the driver rotating the car, and again, you know, Mitch Evans was really suffering not only through the tires and the cooling of the tires, but you know, getting the car rotated in corners, which is all it's all part and parcel of it. If you get that right, you can have a weekend like Jake Dennis. If you just off it, you can have a weekend like um, you know, Gunter Mortara or, you know, relatively speaking, Van Dorn and Evans just getting, you know, getting the crumbs from the table. Yeah. It's 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 incredibly incredibly tight. There's no doubt about that. Um there were a few other sort of hard luck stories. I think the you know, Sam Bird breaking down. We've we've mentioned Norman Natto a little bit unlucky, but the most painful, Robin Freintz has uh, hurt and broken some some bones in his in his hand and wrist. Sam, what's the what's the latest on his condition? We're recording this on uh, Monday afternoon, so w- w- where are we at currently? Yeah, Robin's still in hospital in Mexico City. He's hoping to get back to to his home uh, this week. Uh, he had a lengthy operation. We understand on on Sunday evening. Um, make no mistake about it. This is a this is a bad injury, uh, it, f- especially for such an innocuous looking accident, a slow speed innocuous accident. 
Um, first and foremost, I think we all I speak for all of us to to wish Robin a, a really good recovery for this this injury, which sounds nasty. When when you look back at the um, the on board and and you look at it closely, it's it is horrible. It's one of those where his hand just gets completely completely mashed in the steering wheel. So um, this 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 is a much more serious injury. I believe than Sam Bird's from from last year, and the fear is that he'll be out for a number of races. I hope that's not the case, but we don't have official information on that yet. But the the presumption is that he he will miss a number of races, um, yet to be confirmed. But you know, it looks and feels like we'll, we'll he'll miss a good chunk of races, which is really really tough for him. Um, let's hope there's some positive news on his on the healing process of his of his left hand, and then he can be back in the cockpit really soon um but there will naturally be rehab and of course these cars are super physical to drive which is just you know horrible perfect storm for robin so yeah all the best uh to to, to you robin and um yeah let's hope he's, he's back in the the apt cooper very soon yeah i'm i'm famously the president of the robin france fan club so uh yeah really hope he we we he gets back soon for sure and I, is is mitch is mitchell now vice president then yeah yeah exactly exactly uh and i saw thomas beermeyer the um can't remember his official title but team principal or whatever at uh the man in charge of the apt cooper team after the race and he was really so frustrated and disappointed and i said do you have a reserve he said yes we have kelvin van der linde but He's never driven the car. He's, you know, not done any testing. So it'll be a real deep end. Is that the sort of obvious answer, Jack Cousins, to to put the reserve driver in? Or if Robin's going to be out for a, for a few races, do you try and get someone with former experience a bit more? Because like Kelvin van der Linde, I think he's done one, maybe two rookie tests, something like that. Yeah, it's those those options do seem to be, like you say, Kelvin van der Linde. Um, and... Obviously, Apps links are with Mahindra. Mahindra's reserve is is Jahan Deruvela. Um So those two names are the first two that cropped up when when Sam and I and and the rest of the editorial team were discussing. Um, if you look at those two, I'd normally say give the younger driver. And there's there's not loads in it. There's only only two years, and Deruvela is twenty six still. Um, so I'd, I'd normally say give give the younger driver a chance, but I haven't been overly convinced by him in his in his junior career, and um, and like you point out rightly, it might end up being uh, a longer spell where it's not one to to throw a rookie in and, and see how they do at the deep end. Um, you know, at uh, well, Frines was speaking before the weekend, and and he thought qualifying pace might be okay, but the race was going to be a, a, a tricky one. Obviously, unfortunately, we didn't get to see that, but. Um, you know, you don't want to make too much light of it, but maybe that was for the best because if he thought qualifying was going to be good, he was seven tenths of a second off um, the fastest time in his group, and only two tenths, two and a two and a quarter tenths, uh, covered the the top eight. So um, it's says you know, right now, Apt is really up against it, and it's probably one of those where you need a driver with at least some experience to. To help drag it along, obviously you've got Nico Muller, uh, who's who's not a Formula E rookie in the other car. Um, so yeah, as for alternatives, uh, Antonio Giovinazzi, anyone? Um, <laughs> but on a on a serious note, um, the name that I had that that came up when we were discussing shortly before 
recording was uh, Olivarescu. Um, I think he was a fairly safe pair of hands last year. I know he's still a younger driver and and doesn't have the wealth of experience of some others, but um, had his high points last year. Maybe that's where you get that mix of chucking someone in who's not got anything to lose and uh, and someone who can bring some formulary knowledge to to a team that's uh, on the back foot. Askew's booked already. We've booked him. He's by Cocoms in uh, in in Diria, so they need to let us know quickly. Are you, you're that important, are you? I'm 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 not even going to justify that question with an answer. He, uh, he thinks he is. <laughs> uh, sniffer Deruvel are in for Hyderabad would be would be sort of PR dream for Apt. Well, yeah, but they don't need a PR dream at the moment, do they? They need somebody with experience who can get them good data. That's what they need. And for me, there's another Oliver in town, Oliver Turvey, who's going to be at all the races anyway in his uh, role as DS reserve and he has relevant gen 3 experience he actually actually he is probably the only driver who has driven two cars right he drove the neo uh in private testing and he's driven the the uh the ds so it's a no-brainer for me it'd be oliver turvey but you know i think it's it's inevitable that that van der linder will be in the car he's their nominated reserve but a massive ask for him to come in under these circumstances. I mean, you don't get more challenging than very little notice, um, very little sim time, no practical experience in a new car at a track like Diria. I mean, that's, you know, that is the stuff of nightmares for anyone, but um, I'm sure for a competitive driver, he'll get his uh, teeth into it. Um, but for me, yeah, I'd, 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 I'd certainly approach DS and see if they would release Oliver Turvey. I believe he has some freedom of choice in his in his uh, in his deal with them so that that, that could happen but it all in indicators are pointing to uh kelvin van der linder who i hear great things about um alan mcnish actually raved about him when he did his test with audi at marrakesh a few years ago and he's obviously got some pedigree so um it'll be interesting to see if and, and again another you know another uh, some some more fresh blood in the championship so I think that that covers off most of the sort of teams and drivers that there are that we've got to talk about. Jack, what well, it was your first working event at, at Formula E. So instead of Sam's old, maligned, miserable, <laughs> lowland loving eyes, let's have some fresh ones on this. What did you what did you what did you make of your, your first Formula E weekend? What a lovely picture. You were very popular. There. You were very popular in the uh in the press center, everyone I introduced you to as Sam Smith's replacement, they were all like, oh, this is fantastic. Sam, <laughs> he is he is overstating that by some No, it only, it only happened one time. Much more much more aesthetically pleasing, but it doesn't have to be difficult, does it, to, to get to that <laughs> stage? I, I'm, uh, I'm feeling quite embarrassed now. Um, uh, yeah, where, where does it, where does it go from here? Um, it's funny, isn't it, how those those conversations pre-weekend are, are kind of already ramping up towards what Gen 4 looks like and we hadn't even started this um, this Gen 3 era which has had a, a bit of a troubled build-up. Um, you know, I think as far as the, the, the spectacle was concerned, we've got to, we've got to reserve a little bit of, of judgment for when we get to street tracks that are, are more in keeping with the, the former E philosophy. We also need to keep an eye on uh, drivers' reactions to that with, with these cars and, and you know, the, the increased speeds they're capable of now. Um, 
but it, I think, like I said at the at the top of the podcast, it was uh, it was the weekend that Formula E needed. Um, you know, nothing went drastically wrong. We had some decent racing, and I agree with the the two of you and the points you made that just because there wasn't a, a, a load of overtaking, um, it doesn't mean that it was a it was a bad spectacle. Um, so it, it just you know, Formula E can't on the other side of things can't over celebrate you know nothing going particularly wrong this weekend it needs that the the series and and the FIA need to get this break solution in um as quickly as possible um fast charging needs to be in as quickly as possible there's still stuff that you know was targeted for the start of the season that's not been ready for the first round will hopefully be ready for the second one but even that's on a you know, a, a fast track schedule compared to where we thought it was going to be two weeks ago. Um, this season, I think, is about being humble and, and you know, viewing it as a success at the end of the season. That would be great. But let's not have any told you so's that this would be OK. You know, I had, we had a session with uh, Alejandro Agag on Friday and he said... Uh, uh, a, a little, uh, you know, with, with tongue in cheek, a little bit that the problems that the teams had had in testing were what Formula E was all about. That it's meant to bring the best out of the teams to find solutions to things. But these are solutions they've had to find to problems that shouldn't have been there. Um, but teams find a way, and they did in Mexico. So hats off to to everyone for making it work. And here's hoping we're we're talking more about the racing. As we were, you know, in in Mexico, um, compared to to what we spent most of the preseason focusing on. Sniffer thoughts? Well, I think Jack's right. You know, I think I think for Alejandro, the founding father of the championship, to put that weird spin on things, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here. This is this is what we do in Formula. We challenge the teams this much. Well, you know, it's just hogwash, isn't it? Because at a world championship level, you should have the basics ticked off before the championship begins and Formula E evidently hasn't had that so you know I had messages again you know on the on the media side I had messages from several people ahead of it the the the, the old story you know where can I watch the race where is it is it on TV well it wasn't it was on YouTube that's the only place you could watch it and I think Eurosport as well terrestrial no you couldn't do that is that good enough for a world championship no I don't think it is but you know it's up to it's up to the people's jobs and their roles to try and find a solution where do you watch the world endurance championship on terrestrial television we're not talking about the world endurance championship jack maybe you're, yeah but you're saying a world championship has to be on terrestrial television well, i'm not saying it has to be i'm just saying that the, the, what, what options are there to watch to watch it on tv you know there aren't many uh, at all and i think for a world championship status and, and and actually, it's more than that. It's the hyperbole that the championship is given by some of some of its executives. It's not matching the the walk with the talk, is it? I mean, I don't think it is. And most of the um, most of the teams and manufacturers are of the same opinion. I mean, ironically, I hear that the the German TV audience was fantastic for um, for Mexico at prime time, um, which is great. You know, I'm, it's it's not all bad, but certainly. In the UK, there is this endless frustration that it's it seems to be hidden away a little bit, and um, and I get that. Um, you know, additionally, we talked about things like the LEDs on the car and so forth. I mean, that's that's something that 
will um, will be solved. Um, but to me, it's it, the progression of the championship just isn't going quick enough for what it is because it's fantastic. We're here talking about it, talking about the first race for an hour, how fantastic it is, how great the drivers are, how great the teams are, how great the calendar is this season, you know, if, if it all takes place, which you always have to caveat in, in Formula E. I understand the challenges that have taken place, but what doesn't tally for me, as I said, is the rhetoric coming. It doesn't match up. So then we get this weird spin from the chairman about it and, and uh, that it's naturally changeable. Well, you know, there's a mixed message for a start, isn't it? I mean, that is not the truth of the matter. Essentially, Formula E still doesn't know what to do with itself. It's excellent sport, really good teams, really good drivers, as I say. But, you know, at its core, it just doesn't have what it thinks it has. Now, now on or off the track the bigger picture for me is that the boards of manufacturers will look at the return on investment and they'll look at the media footprint and they'll make a decision soon on if they continue porsche will do that this year nissan ds and jaguar probably the year after if i'm asking these questions then they sure as hell will be as well additionally and sorry to go on this isn't a rant this is this is considered i promise you ask the drivers if they enjoy driving these cars you do that on camera, they'll say yes. You do that privately, they say that the majority of them don't like driving this car. So that's a difficult uh, position to be in. And I think operationally, sportingly, media and driver-wise, this is a survival year, which I go back to what I wrote earlier in the um, earlier in January. I mean, what else is it? That's the reality. Formula E can make it nice and shiny. Epre to Epre, that's their job as a promoter. I get that completely. You know, we're all professionals. We all know how it works. But what I've just outlined there is where they are in reality right now, um, and it can it can only get better. And I think the challenges are one thing, but the actual sort of existential future um, questions of the championship are still are still not answered. And we're nine years into this championship now, and I think it should just be in a in a better position. So that was not a rant from Sam Smith. That was... <laughs> uh, um, uh, any 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 news going into Diria Sam? Anything that we need to know about? Calendar's still the same? Yeah, I... T- yeah, there'll be no calendar update this uh, this episode. But shame because that's mean, always my favourite one. It's always my favourite part of the show. No, it should have its own little jingle or something, shouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the free practice um, regulation which came into effect, which essentially mirrored the F one um, uh, mandatory rookies being involved in the championship, that has been tweaked for this year. It was originally going to be two free practice sessions. That, uh, that teams had to run a rookie in. That has now been modified to one session and that will be a pre-session. So it won't be an official FP1 or FP, FP2. It will be a pre-session. Now, I think what's going to happen is is that pretty much everybody is going to choose Berlin. So it's, in a sense, it's a compromise between the FIA and the teams in that the teams originally were not too hot on this because it could jeopardise their um their hardware in a session in a live session um and also it wouldn't benefit the rookie drivers that much so essentially what we're going to end up with is at berlin there will be a rookie test 
probably the day before the first free practice session or maybe even in the the morning of the day um so it'll be interesting to see um some of the drivers that that will be there for that i mean it'll be one driver uh per per team and i always find them quite fascinating and in the past we've seen nick de Vries, uh nick cassidy sete camera gunter all get blooded in these Calvin sessions van der Kelvin, Kelvin van der Linder indeed, um, and uh, Martin Rao, who uh, who drove for Neo three three three, who did a very fine job in that test. So yeah, it's it's always something I look forward to actually. But it looks like I mean I can't imagine anyone would use another race because Berlin obviously is just so suited for it because you you know you do well to hit a wall in Berlin really. There's there's much less jeopardy than there is in the the the, the other street tracks in the calendar. Uh. Well, I think that's about all we have to Oh, Diri is going to be great with these with these Gen 3 cars. It's it's the best it's a lot of drivers' favorite circuits out there and uh, that will be getting underway in what? 10 days time? The the weekend of the 28th and uh, no, the 27th and 28th is the is the next race in Diria. Jack Cousins, final thoughts from you. Do you have anything more to to say on your former podcast debut? Just, just thanks for having me. That's really bland, isn't it? But uh, it's been really, it's, oh, it's wow. been really nice to. It's very polite of you. <laughs> well, you know, I say one thing to the the camera, and in person, you don't have a rant so... in your locker. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's full of a suitcase at the moment. Um, but it's been, it, you know, I'm glad that that we got through the weekend with without anything uh, anything major going wrong. <laughs> um, but also that we had, uh, you know good talking points come out of the race to to discuss for what feels uh feels like it's flown by but has, has been well over an hour now so good talking good 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 talking that's your review of the pod uh sniffer predictions for diria give me a give me a prediction a ds penske back at the front yes definitely i think jaggy will be back there as well um it's just so hard it's just incredibly difficult to predict the one thing i can predict is that you will shout that's mad in your own inimitable way at some stage during it because <laughs> these things do not miss these epres because these things on that track are going to be insane absolutely insane i think this circuit and rome will be the most spectacular thing we've ever seen in Formula E. And um, yeah, I mean, it will be, I think there'll be some uh, some nails dug into the media desks as, as they do qualifying. It'll be, won't be the faint hearted, but yeah, I hope it's, uh, I hope it's a really great event over there and, and I'll be back on the ground there. So uh, Jack is relieved from, from duties for a while. So uh, looking forward to, to, yeah, soaking up my first race of the year. Oh, okay, great. Well, we must get lunch. As ever, as long as you're buying, Jack, that will be a delight. <laughs> yeah, I'll and take I promise, the team and I promise, I promise not to rant over the bill. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's all that happens. Whenever Sniffer and I go for dinner, he just rants at me about how it was better in Can-Am or something like that. Uh, <laughs> you can, so thank you very much for joining us for this former podcast. We'll be back after Diria. You can read all of uh, Sam's news and features on the-race.com. We've got all the other podcasts as well, Formula One, MotoGP and IndyCar. Thank you for listening. And until next time, it's goodbye from the race. The Athletic. <laughs>